Welcome to the Mad Writers Union. Speculative destruction, one episode at a time. I'm Jay Wolf. I'm Tim Berger. And I'm Nina Niskanen. And today we are talking about. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Today we're talking about trying to keep working when life gets in the way. Every writer at some point in their lives is going to have something that's going to override being able to write at that time. And you have to weather the storm. And so that's basically what we're going to talk about today. In the most recent issue of Flash Fiction Online, uh, Jay Riddler has a article uh, in his series Fuck Writing, uh, which is uh, work and endurance in the wake of an emotional bruise. And I really recommend that article for um, what I'm actually going through right now, which is that I've had some family stuff come up that has really taken a toll on my ability to do anything creative, but especially on my writing. I basically hadn't written for at least a month and was thinking, am I even doing this anymore? Am I, am I still, am I still a writer? Like I'm literally like the one thing I'm not doing right now at all is writing. And the thing is that Well, it's true that a writer writes. Sometimes you just hit a wall and you can't write for whatever reason. Here's where we we bring up Mary Robinette Cole in this episode. Mary wrote uh, toward the end of last year. She wrote a post called Sometimes Writer's Block is Really Depression where she talked about how she suddenly couldn't write anymore. And this is one of those, everybody goes through these types of things. And I mean, it's easy to convince yourself that you're not a real writer when you're in the beginning of your career, or probably even when you're in the middle of a very successful career. Every writer goes through their trials. And it's going to be different for everybody. For me, the thing that's been kind of in the way of my writing lately, I got a lot of family obligations. I have, uh, I mean, we just moved. I've got a house that I'm trying to put on the market. And my challenge right now is finding time. Also with that is motivation. (laughs) Because, (laughs) yeah, yeah, I, I think the motivation is probably the hardest piece of that puzzle because My perception is that my struggles aren't that big. But I've also questioned, hey, am I doing this right? Am I really going to be a writer at some point? But I've also heard from enough professional writers, writers who do this for a full-time living, to know that people do go through this. People who are successful writing, they go through a lot of the same steps that I do. So there are different ways to get through this. Going back to Mary Robin at Cole, I had the good fortune once to actually sit down and talk with her with some other students of hers. And she said that the one thing that she tries to do every day is write three sentences. Yeah. That's a task that doesn't seem daunting. And that kind of goes along with that whole strategy of just get started. Do a small step. That small step usually will lead to a longer 
period of time where you are productive. Right. Yeah. I mean, I have to say that I was actually at the point where I I wasn't even able to get to the three sentence point. Mm -hmm. And part of that was, I'll characterize it as situational depression because there was a lot of family medical stuff going on. And that's always kind of a bigger drain on my emotions than anything else. Mm -hmm. There's that tendency for it to just kind of take over every available amount of your emotions. Mm -hmm. And so anything that I would normally count on as a resource within myself to get started, it's been surprisingly difficult. And it's actually really kind of compounded all of my emotional difficulties surrounding this set of events. Because like I said, I mean, it's really tied up all of my reserves. Sure. Mm -hmm. And while I realize that this is probably hard to remember while in the midst of depression. Mm -hmm. There's this thing that Jenny Lawson does, depression lies. Depression will tell you that you are the lowest being on earth, that you don't deserve anything good. Whatever you do, it's not enough. It's subpar. And depression lies. Especially if you are dealing with a situational depression. It's really important In my opinion, I don't have any numbers or articles pointing to or something like this, but in my opinion, the best thing that you can do if you want to write and you're going through this situational depression is take care of you first. You need to do the little things. You need to make sure that you're eating, that you're sleeping enough hours. Taking regular showers. Taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. because that's going to help you get in the right state of mind to be able to come back to it. And I think writers especially get a lot of pressure about writing every day. Yes. I've heard that from so many writers write every day, except when they don't. (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of writers who only write on the weekends or or what have you. Mm -hmm. You need to just find the schedule that works for you. You need to make sure that you're in a state where you can get in that writing space. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Even beyond these hopefully abnormal situations of depression, there are just writers for who the write everyday thing doesn't work. Like, for example, Cameron Hurley has talked at length about how much better she feels about writing when she started writing only during the weekends. I mean, I've never been a write every day kind of person. I definitely have to go in short bursts, sort of like Cameron Hurley. So that makes sense to me. I'm a burst writer. A lot of my writing time is thinking about the story and trying to figure that out. Now I'm trying to make that process shorter by having outlines and and do all this other stuff. Well, I mean, I actually view that time where you're actually processing story stuff in your head. I still view that as writing time. Yeah. Which may be part of my problem also. (laughs) (laughs) When I had to be sitting hospital side with someone, my inability to get into that mental space, that was sort of the first time that I acknowledged that I hadn't been able to occupy that space in a while. Mm -hmm. The ability to get into that mental space in the first place, you know, into the writing space, I feel like that sometimes does get chewed up by other more important or urgent emotional situations. What? Surely there's nothing more important than writing. (laughs) I feel like it would be a legitimate thing to come to that conclusion sometimes. I'm pulling your leg. (laughs) So I literally did not have the reserves to get into that space for a total of about a month. Mm -hmm. So how did you finally get over it? 
Because I know have, that you have since written. I have. I wrote an entire 500 words of novel stuff. Nice. Which sounds like a tiny amount of writing. But this is a novel that you had just a week before said, that's it. I'm done. This is not happening. Not ever. I am throwing it in the bin. <laughs> I am burning the bin. <laughs> To be fair, we are mad writers after all. (laughs) Just because I blew up the volcano lair. And the iceberg lair. No, I really, I had gotten to the point of being so frustrated with the manuscript that I was literally ready to throw it away. But that frustration actually is basically symptomatic of what was going on in my real life at the time. And I know that now. But you wrote. You wrote. I, I did. The key here is figuring out ways that you can actually get out of this. And I think it requires a little bit of experimentation. I know one thing that has been really popular lately amongst the friends that we have in writing is writing sprints. For some reason, I see a lot of people that I know are they're doing writing sprints. The people that we went to Bible Paradise with when we're talking, mm-hmm. it seems like Somebody will contact another person and say, hey, I'm going to do a writing sprint. Anybody want to join me? Sure. You usually get a couple of takers. Yeah. So that's one way. I think another thing that also would help you get to that space of wanting to write is actually reading more. At least that's what I find is that I've been reading a lot more and that kind of spurns me my thought to to go back to my keyboard and start hammering out some words. Sure. Yeah, no, I actually got a lot of reading done, as you can probably imagine, while I was sitting and not doing very much else. (laughs) (laughs) Reading is very important and definitely part of the whole writing fuel thing. Right. And that definitely was part of my retreat out of the never writing again cave. Sure. Mm -hmm. The third level that I actually do want to bring up is doing stuff and still feeling like you're feeling unproductive and like you're not doing anything, which is what I've been going through lately. Mm -hmm. Like relative productivity, you mean? Doing something but feeling like you haven't done anything? Yes. Spinning your wheels, it feels like anyway. It's a lot like that because I'm, I'm still working through the outline of the novel that we discussed in episode four, I want to say. I just keep having problems trying to get through it. It's very frustrating because I really want to start writing it again. I've written about a quarter of it. And then just lost the thread or? Yeah, I just have no idea what happens next because I never got the outline to the point where even the middle was written. Yeah, that can be difficult. Yeah, I can't figure it out and it's driving me nuts. And even though I've been coming up with a new short story a week since the end of January for the science fiction fairy tales class. You still feel like you haven't done anything. Yes. I mean, I've written about a thousand words per story and most of them are also plotted, but I still feel like I haven't done anything. Even though you objectively have because you have WordCon on the page. Honestly, I have no advice at all on how to get through that because I'm kind of still in the middle of it. Well, that's the part where I think the usual advice that comes up in this situation, which is the just keep swimming attitude, I think that's actually where that comes in handy. Yeah. I think that's actually where that kind of advice is actually useful instead of condescending advice to say just keep swimming to someone who is currently doing the work but just doesn't feel like the work is getting done because they don't see it. And and I think this is where I kind of go back to is that if I'm mentally stuck 
Like, I, I don't know where to take a concept or what the next steps are or something like that. I go to somebody that I trust and try to talk it out with them. I'm not necessarily going to them to actually solve the problem, but they're just an extra pair of eyes or ears, as the case may be, that you can talk to. They'll have a different perspective of it, which may allow you to just approach it in a new way and maybe something will click. The keep swimming advice in practice, that's what I'm doing, but doing that is not helping the mental portion of feeling like I'm not doing anything. Yeah, you actually honestly kind of have to trick yourself into thinking like, no, I'm still being productive. Yeah. Hmm. Which is, I've I've started um, working on this um, bullet journal thing, which is basically writing down goals and uh, tracking habits and so on. And I'm doing that to remind myself that I'm actually getting things done, even though I am, I feel like I'm not. And that is forcing me daily to remind myself that I'm actually doing things. Yeah, recounting the the events, the going through yeah. it and just itemizing like I wrote this outline today i i looked at this chapter of the book yeah. today you know this actually like this conversation actually gets me thinking um back to a book that we talked about a few episodes ago might have been episode two we're, we're really reaching back into the <laughs> when we were doing our goals. Oh, yeah. So far um, back, Tim. When we were kind of talking about uh, that book of The Power of Habit. Oh, that was the first episode. Okay. So I wonder if even quantifying it is not giving you the type of feedback. Well, I've been, do I've been doing this for three days. Yeah. So I haven't been doing it long enough for the effect to be really visible. Got it. Okay. Fair enough. But it's what I'm trying out yeah. for now. I do think that rewards are important, though. Yes. If you are quantifying and you get to a certain level, you got to treat yourself, <laughs> as I <they> say. <laughs> yes. In the parlance. <laughs> In the parlance. <laughs> yes. And I actually think that I need to come up with some sort of reward system so that I have a moment where I have reached something outlined, possibly... Maybe not, but mm -hmm. where I have reached something, where I have done something. Like a quantifiable item right. of some kind. Yes. Makes sense. Maybe that's where the manuscript swap is handy. If you're writing with somebody, I don't know about anybody else, but whenever I hand my stuff over to someone else to read, I think it's possibly the worst thing I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much standard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you're also receiving a story from somebody else who's probably thinking the same thing, you look at their story and you're, of course, the story from someone else, a writer friend of yours, you're going to see it from a different perspective. You're going to see some things that they might want to switch up. You're also going to see what a wonderful writer that they are, but also vice versa. They're going to see some things that you could try differently, but you get the reaffirmation that, yeah, you don't suck at this. From somebody else and that can be helpful that helps me yeah it's knowing what you enjoy for rewards those things are kind of crucial for you to keep going on and get back on track 
One of the things that I would bring up that was in Jay Riddler's article was that sometimes you kind of have to embrace that you're going through a thing. Yeah. His subheading for that particular section was, be cool with things sucking. (laughs) 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 This is exactly where I am in this moment. Because you know... Any job has moments of perpetual suck that <laughs> seem horrible at the time, <laughs> but you get through it. The thing about writing, which is difficult, is that you're not getting paid, you know, <laughs> in advance typically to power through that. Writing for most people is that you do the work up front and then you hopefully get paid for it later or not. So the rewards are nebulous. Yeah. But every job sucks at some point. Yeah. Even your dream job, at some point, it's going to suck. And it's okay. Yep. Embrace the suck. (laughs) In summary, depression lies. Mm -hmm. Embrace the suck. Just keep swimming. And try maybe exchanging manuscripts with your friend, who is probably going through the same thing that you are. Or a totally different thing. So, Tim, have you read any good books lately? Yes, I'm going to recommend uh, Sex Criminals. Oh! Yes, 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 yes. By Matt Fraction and... Chip Starsky. Okay, yes. I mean, if you want something that... Something a little more adult, graphic <laughs> novel, super funny. Yeah, it's really well written. Uh, I've been on a graphic novel kick lately. Sex Criminals Volume 1. I know that Sex Criminals Volume 2 just came out is that yes fair this year past year i think yeah i'm kind of doing some back catalog graphic novel stuff lately but yeah that's my recommendation sex criminals excellent so jay what have you been reading so i've been in a comfort food mode with reading so i went back to your friend and mine Stephen Bruce, The Book of Jerry. Nice. Oh, I knew this! So The Book of Jerry is the first three novels in the Vlad Taltosh series. Sassy assassins, even more sassy dragon. You know, you love it. The problem with a 16-book series, and I've resisted doing this one for the entire run of this particular podcast, specifically because I knew I was going to hit this wall and go like, well, what can I say about it? There's... 16 (laughs) books in the linear series, and there's even more ancillary material that doesn't have anything to do with these characters. Well, Jay, you actually got me into the Taltosh series. (laughs) Yeah. Back before Viable Paradise, because Jay and I were roommates, and we were getting to know each other through Facebook chat, and Jay started talking about how Bruce is one of her favorite authors, and (laughs) I was like, okay, well... Jay seems like a cool person. I may have to look into this. And I've been making my way through. I think I'm on book 13. Nice. You're actually probably ahead of me. I've lost track somewhere in the middle and and have kind of just been filling in the gaps in between. Yeah. Victory! (laughs) But in terms of the Vlad Taltosh series. So yes, so... Book of yeah. Jerig, which is... So it's the first three novels in the series, which are Jerig, Yendi, and Tekla. And those are the numeric order. There are multiple reading orders for the Vlad Taltosh books. So you may actually want to look this up if you haven't already looked at these books. Because some people prefer the non-linear order. Uh, I'm perfectly okay with the linear order, for the record. 
Book of Jerig, Stephen Bruce. Get it. Nina, what you got? Yes, my dear. I'm at the point where I just want to recommend all the books. But <laughs> since, I, since, since I can't, I'm going to go with a series. Ha ha. Ah. <laughs> Book Burners, which is on Serial Box. It's an episodic storytelling type of thing. The authors are Max Gladstone, Margaret Dunlap, Mer Lafferty, and Brian Francis Slattery. It's a good lineup. Yeah, it's a very good lineup. And each of them writes one novella at a time, of course. There are several written by all of them. Basically, the idea is that there are books in the world, mostly they are very, very old books that have magic in them. And there's this organization funded by the Catholic Church that basically tries to contain and or destroy the magic of the books because whenever the magic gets free, it has some fairly horrific side effects. Mm -hmm. And I think I tried Serial Box originally because Ellen Kushner had a new series in there that the uh, women over on Galactic Suburbia really liked. And... Then I think Mer Lafferty mentioned it on Ditch Diggers. And I was like, okay, I'll try it out. And then when I finally did try the pilot of Book Burners, I was like, okay, I, <laughs> I got to have more. I need more. Give me all of it. <laughs> and then suddenly I was out of the season and there's no more coming until June. At least you have like an end date where you're like, oh... I can expect something by, you know, a reasonable period of time. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So, Book Burners, Series 1, it's awesome. <laughs> awesome. Get it? Wonderful. This has been the Mad Writers Union. Now let's get to work. Our intro music is Cephalopod. And our interlude music is Exotics, both by Kevin Cloud at IncomeTech.com. Licensed under a Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hello, listeners. Did you miss us? We missed you. Why not share the love by dropping us a line? You can reach us at our website, MadWritersUnion.com. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash TheMadWritersUnion. You can tweet to us at our handle, at MadWritersUnion. And last but not least, you can email us at MadWritersUnion at gmail.com. Embrace the suck. I think we found our show title. But it's not SEO friendly. It is not. (laughs) Uh, That's true.